Hello and welcome to our first podcast on migration, refugee, and population issues, brought to you by the Center for Migration Studies of New York. My name is Rachel Reyes, CMS's Communications Coordinator. For our inaugural podcast, we are pleased to speak with Pelanisa Elofa. Ms. Elofa hails from Kiribati, a nation comprised of 33 islands spread across the Central Pacific. Rising tides are increasingly contaminating the country's fresh water supply and washing trash on shore and the rising sea levels threaten to eventually engulf the low-lying islands. The government has predicted fresh water contamination could render the country uninhabitable in 30 to 60 years. And scientists predict that many, if not all, of the islands could be submerged under the Pacific as early as 2050. Kiribati, therefore, is poised to become one of the first countries to disappear because of climate change. The entire population, approximately 103,000 people, according to 2012 estimates from the United Nations, could be forced to seek new homes. They may become the first permanent, environmentally induced mass migration movement. And according to the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, populations obliged to leave their own country due to climate change, such as the Kiribati people, could be rendered stateless. Ms. Alova is the national coordinator for the Kiribati Climate Action Network, a network of 20 organizations active on climate change. She also serves as the in-country coordinator for the Pacific Center of Sustainable Development at the University of the South Pacific. At USP, she works on the European Union Global Climate Change Alliance Project, which aims to develop and strengthen countries' ability to adapt to the impacts of climate change through capacity building, research, and community engagement. Ms. Alofa is in New York to be honored by the Women in the World Conference. She joins us today with the help of the State Department's International Visitor Program. Ms. Alofa, thank you again for speaking with me today. I'd like to begin our discussion with an overview of the situation facing Kiribati. Can you please describe what is happening in your country? Well, uh, Kiribati uh, Islands, we have 33 islands, 23 are inhabited, and the islands are like three meters above sea level, most of them, except for Banneba, which is the highest island, my island, which is almost uninhabited, uninhabitable because of the phosphate mining. But the islands, um, because of their narrowness, they're so narrow and low, and with... Um, Climate change, the impact, I think the, our, high, our biggest impact is the high tide or the sea level rise. We call it a sea level rise. Um, and so while the water is coming up, it takes away the land. You know, it's like every time the tide comes up, coastal erosion takes place every time. And if it comes with a storm and the wind, and the rain, then that's worse. Yes, and uh, it contaminates our water. So, the biggest, the second biggest problem in Kiribati is water. We have the coastal erosion from the sea level rise, and the contamination of water. In Kiribati, we have wells. We depend on wells. Every home has a well water. And also, when it comes on land, it comes into our wells. So when they're contaminated. They clean it out and they will use it, but it's not good enough to use. Yeah, so 
That's what's happening in Kiribati right now. But with this high tide that's, that came just recently, like uh, February this year, I think that wakes everyone up. They woke up because it came at a day when it was an ordinary, sunny, calm day like this, like today. And the tide came up. We know it's a high tide, but it came up. And it came up almost like two meters higher than the normal. And it just came up and you watched it coming up. What's happening? You know? And it came up and came up and came up over the sea walls, right into people's homes. People's homes, the hospital, everywhere. The interesting was interesting thing was the biggest high tide that we had and the biggest damage was at the Red Beach. In Tarawa, that island where we live, the Red Beach is, we call it Red Beach because that's where the American soldiers were killed by the Japanese during the Second World War. And uh, I was running around to take photos and at the same time I was saying, man, my heart was going like, you know, this is real, this is, the water is really coming up. And people all came to see because they wanted to know what's happened. We thought, we thought our, our sea wall has fallen. That's why water came up. But we say, no, the sea wall is there, but water has come over the sea wall. And I thought, is this a tsunami or something is happening in the neighborhood, you know, somewhere in the other islands. That's why it's affecting our island. No, it's just a high tide, a normal high tide. And, uh, and then a few weeks after that, we had a cyclone. A cyclone that hits Vanuatu really bad, but some of it touches Kiribati and it just washed up our causeway that joined the two islands. You know, our main two islands, the capital islands of Kiribati, washed up. Nobody can go on the causeway, you know. And I was overseas then. I was, wow, what's happening? Is this really happening in Kiribati? Now, I returned home. People repairing the causeway, people repairing their homes, people. But uh, when I had a meeting with my NGO, the ladies came, the men came, and they were sharing their stories. And they said, oh, all our gardens that we had all washed away, all our water wells all filled with water, and our pigs died because we tied them, you know, in the pigsty. Or they are in the pigsty, and the water came up, and they got, they, they drowned and the rubbish just all washed up on land. I realized that for the last five years I've been talking about climate change, when I was watching what's coming, what's, you know, really happening on the island, I couldn't really see it until last February. You know, I saw it, but it's gradual, you know, and I saw trees falling, but it takes time. But in last February when the tide came up, on a normal peaceful day and it just washed up and I said wow if this continues to be every month every high tide we're really going to be looking for a place to go what has been the government's response to the environmental degradation of the islands 
our other biggest challenge in Kiribati is the lack of political willpower. When you have the water coming up and we are crying, you know, and shouting or screaming and begging people to do something and the political you know, at the political arena, no one is moving. That is our biggest problem right now in Kiribati. Because we're not going to control the water coming up. We can do whatever we can do, but we know if the water continues to come up and there is no political will, then these islands will be submerged. So then what are the options for the people of Kiribati? Then the government has to find a place for them to move to. Know? and that's going to be difficult because you want to, you have to move people and it's expensive you have to prepare when you move them you move them and you have to build homes you have to it's, it's quite expensive when the tide came up it was it washed up to the hospital and all government housing beside it i i returned from overseas i went to check on them check on the houses nobody lived there because the houses were full of sand. The whole house inside the house were all full of sand and gravels outside. They said it's uninhabitable. People have, the government people have moved them. Okay, so these houses are standing like this now. No one can use them. So when I, I saw they built higher sea walls to protect the hospital and I said, how, how can we protect it? No, I was watching the sea walls they look so so skinny, <laughs> so thin and not high enough. I, I don't think they're strong enough to protect the hospital. But you cannot move the hospital. Where do you move? And I ask people, so what do you do? Have you moved away? Where do we go? We just wait for the tide to go down and that's it. We wait when it's dry. We rebuild, you know, <laughs> clean up and rebuild. Well, that's Kiribati. Are there many Kiribati migrating now in preparation of an eventual climate-induced move? They are migrating because we have a, a migration scheme with different countries. Like we have with New Zealand, we call it a PEC, you know, Pacific Access to New Zealand. Mm. So they, like, they take 75 people every year. It's supposed to be a good migration, a, a good um, scheme, but it's quite tough. You have to pay your own fare. You have to go in and you wait for your visa to be approved um, while they process it while you're there so that you can start working. Some of them, they wait for so long and they go into a country and they're not staying in rental houses. They come to live with relatives. So it's really the extended families in, in these countries are helping the migrants to come in. You, they come and live with you. Come and live with your family and stay there until you get your visa and your work permit. But it may take you two to three months, and by that time you finish all your money that you came with, you know, to pay for your living. So it's quite a, a tough uh, scheme, but it's the only one that is Kiribati people are using right now. Is there a migration scheme with Australia? Australian one, not yet. We don't have. We have the working scheme. People go and pick fruits. Uh, no, there's seasonal jobs. Eh? We have that in Kiribati. The migration is the New Zealand one. 
we don't have Australia yet. And that's what we really need. That's why with Kiribati, uh, our preparation for this migration in the future is let's train our people with skills to fill in the gap in the labor market when we move. For when we move, we move as a dignified people. That's why the training is done in Kiribati today. A lot of training. It's all training just to make sure that our people are equipped, you know. So tell me more about your projects. How are you handling environmental effects on the land and the people? And how are you assisting with migration efforts? The projects that I'm doing in Kiribati right now through my NGO, the non-government organization called the Kiribati Climate Action Network, and through the job that I'm doing with the University of the South Pacific, I have uh, the EU Global Climate Change Alliance funding, and we also have um, the EU funding through the South Pacific community. It comes through the the USP, the USP is the South, University of the South Pacific, and we implement them. We also have a USAID funding that comes to us for climate change adaptations. So what I work with the communities on is adaptation all the time. And it comes as the priority is, most of the priority is water. In all the communities I go to, when we list down our priorities, they say water. Well, the, first re- the real first priority is to protect the land. Because there's, no pro- you know, there's no point of having water and development and every other thing if you cannot protect the land and we're not going to be here. Uh, but with my project, with, they said, I said, I cannot protect your land. I cannot build your sea walls. I cannot, and, but I, we can provide water. We can provide water tanks to your communities. But that's what I found. I realized that the second biggest priority for Kiribati is water. Everywhere we go, water. You know, they need clean drinking water. And do you provide any assistance to uh, prepare people for migration? We have a a project called Pacific Tibet, training on um, vocational education training. For example, with my project, I've been out to the outer islands and building tanks with communities. And we have a trainer to come and build, help them um, train these people how to build watershed, the, the stand for the water tank, you know, the concrete, and then to build the shed on it and the guttering, everything, and go to the water tank. And in the village, people come to learn how to do it, and then they implement. Then they come and to ask, um, are we going to get any qualification from this because we've learned to do this, like any certification on it? And so many of the projects we have training on the job while you are working or we run training programs, workshops. We run workshops how to do a, an assessment, how to do this and how to do this. But we just give them certificate of participation. We said, no, we're going to do it properly. They've been trained. We give them a, a, a certificate of something, a, a certain skill. Maybe they learn how to do project proposals, how to, to write reports for projects, how to do this. We give them those certifications so in the future when they migrate, they can find jobs. They have papers with them. 
you know, qualifications with them, you know, those kind of things. So that's Pacific Tiret, and it's a project through the South Pacific Community, SPC, but it's we are implementing it through USP, University of the South Pacific, and that's where I work. So we go and get trained for it to take it out to the communities. So in Kiribati, we have a Kiribati Institute of Technology. They put a lot of money into it by the Australian government. They they lifted the what you call the standard up to the Australian standard. And not only that institution, but we have the Teachers College, and we have. The whole education system, they try to raise it up to the Australian standard. So when our youth or whoever qualifies from these institutions will be able to find at least a job in New Zealand or Australia. So vocational trainings are available to people seeking to leave the country? So we also have a maritime uh, school in Kiribati. It's a big maritime school and we... A lot of our youth, our boys, are good seamen, seafarers. We continue to train them so that they can find jobs overseas. And then we also sent out a university students trained uh, to be nurses to Australia. Uh, they spent three or four years here and for them to stay and work. But to stay to work in there so they can help their families. They remit money or the families come to live with them because of our communal society and the way we live you will always help your family so we let the others go in first train stay there so they can help their families to be able to migrate and and that's part of the migration with dignity skill building finding a job and you move with your family but you can be able to find jobs and and uh not to be in a country sitting there doing nothing because you do not have a skill. And and so that's that's what's happening in Kiribati right now. What we're doing is a preparation, preparation for this is government is trying to prepare people for migration and trying to tell them, You learned, um, we do the upskilling whether you migrate or not, but at least you are prepared, you know. Don't just take it easy, and then when the time comes, you'll be the you'll be the disadvantaged person, and become you become the liability to the host country. But we want our host countries to know that if we come, when Ikirbas people come, they come with a skill. There's a lot of work to do. Part of this preparation, people are not saying, "Oh, we're going to migrate. We're moving away from Kiribati." No, they're not talking about it. But the government is doing it. Is part of its policy to prepare them. So what kind of support do you, you and your fellow citizens need now from the international community? What we really need is uh, open-minded. If we're going to migrate, if, we're going, if we do move, especially the, at the United Nations, say, eh? we really need them to, to come up with something that, no, not to create a refugee status for us, but to prepare something on migration with dignity for people like us. For us right now, we just have to create a new one. It's not refugees, but migration, you know, environmental migrants. And that's why we have, a, you know, an incident in New Zealand where we have a Kiribati person there that overstayed and uh, said, oh, I'm here as a refugee. 
want yeah. to be a refugee, claiming to be a refugee because of climate change. I can't go back home. And I know that my government couldn't really support that because we've already had a, a policy right now that there is no refugees on climate change. And we start giving refugee status to people once they start going overseas, yeah. then we will lose out on this. What we want in the UN to have for us is that, you know, a new definition where we can be protected. You know, we are not refugees. We move, but there should be preparation for us to move. A place where we go to and everything is available for us. What can the international community do to assist with integrating um, the Kiribati people into their societies? We really want for for a country like America, America, Australia, New Zealand, even Europe, you know, to be able to open up the arms and just say, um, come and learn, come and learn. Um, like what New Zealand is doing now, access to migration, come and see. But we want access to Western countries like America, to have these seasonal jobs or we have these, um, these jobs for our people to come. But we need to have a proper training back home and to have a partner in another country that help us mm. to help our people to, to settle in. But I know our people are resilient. You know, they will survive and they will do any job anywhere. There's so much we have to teach our people to, to be able to survive in these countries. And that's why I really, I'm also afraid and skeptical about migration. You know, we they only survive in these countries because they have extended families there, right? But an unskilled person moving to another new country, a Western country, man, they're gonna be lost, you know, and they'll be out there on the street. Mm -hmm. We have, we have a lot of preparation for them, emotionally and psychologically, and to change the way of thinking. That if you want to go to the West, you have to learn to work, and you have to learn to pay your dues. So we talk about migration, but and I said, oh yeah, we need our people to migrate, but we need to prepare them, really prepare them. What do you think is needed for Kiribati migrants to be successful in the places to which they've migrated? So we have to change the attitude. Learn to save your money, do your own business, be your own, be your own master, and uh, try and survive mm -hmm. in another country. You're contributing to that country. At the same time, you're looking after yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not just a skill. It's an attitude. The Kiribati attitude has to change. You have to understand that. You know, it's not your values and your culture, but your attitude. Like when you go in there and you say work, yes, it's work. You have to be on time and money. You save your money because you have to pay for your rent. You know, all those kind of things. Like for example, you are here. Forget about having a community that you have to contribute and contribute and contribute, and then you have nothing to pay for your rent. You know, we have to tell them to change that. Like budget your money so you can spend some money, send some money to home, but you have to make sure that you meet your needs in here. Because that's that's one of the problems that we have. People come in here to New Zealand, they 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 find jobs but they very hard to survive. 
you know. Why? They continue to live the way they live in Kiribati. People are asking, we need the money, we need the money, and they keep on sending. And then they have nothing left to live with. It's challenging to our people because we come from communities that shares. We share. When I have it, I, sh- I give it to you, everyone. You can continue to be with your society, get in touch and keep with your values. The culture is important, but really it's the values in that culture that is important. It's not just about the dancing. It's not about just the food, but the values in it. What's really in that, you know, the dance that you want to value. Most of our, the most important thing in our culture is the respect. Mm-hmm. We respect our elders. That's very important to us. We must never lose it. And um, the respect for other people. The respect for the brothers, your sisters. Well, I want to thank Pelanisa Alofa for joining us today. You can find more information on Kiribati and the work of Pella's organization at kirikan.wordpress.com. That's K-I-R-I-C-A-N dot wordpress.com. Thank you very much. And for more information from the Center for Migration Studies of New York, including events, publications, and video, visit us at cmsny.org. 